Inside Westminster, chapter 242, Deracinated. Towards the end of Trump's time as head of state, when he had met up with the senior leadership of the Taliban in Doha to sign up to a complete US withdrawal from Afghanistan and a total takeover of that government by them, the president had set a trap for his replacement. Yeah, too right we're going to commemorate 20 years since the Twin Towers by quitting this godforsaken land, Trump had drawled, not knowing if he'd be the one overseeing said withdrawal. What with the looming elections? But mainly Trump's administration had become sick to the back teeth of the hypocrisy. A full quarter of all aid slash investment slash handouts had been going to senior Afghan officials in the form of bribes and kickbacks. This is tearing the arse out of our generosity and it's going to stop, Trump had ranted, not wanting to countenance another decade of corrupt governments feathering their own nests at US expense. Putting a stop to this had fallen to his successor, who seemed to sleepwalk his way into a cataclysmic catastrophe by applying the Doha Agreement unconditionally and without question. Well, er, Biden had stuttered, squinting into the auto queue. A promise is a promise, and I stand by what I say. Or, he said. In an aside, he actually asked one of his aides if he had indeed agreed to such things. The aide just flummoxed a response, as he wasn't quite sure of what agreement the doddery old man had been talking about. Which would have been fine when dealing with reasonable, like-minded folks, which the Taliban definitely weren't. In fact, they're the polar opposite, and the lawless rank and file seem not to be held to account if they shoot dead, let's say, a folk singer for the crime of singing and bringing joy to ordinary people's lives. Too bad, Trump yawned as he stretched out on his sun lounger, his wife at his side. Those old bearders are just jealous of moi, mon chéri. Melania just smiled her exquisite feline smile, knowing that later, when her flabbily rotund husband was knocking his balls around his immaculate golf course, she'd be knocking someone else's, bringing great joy to her secret lover and herself too. How she'd got away with it for so long, she had no idea, but she'd learned from girlhood that being discreet, smiley and unquestioning of her man would get her very far in life. Added to that, looking after herself and indulging in expensive treatments, promising eternal youth, was another of her lessons learnt. She thought she should write a book on how to live a luxurious life at everyone else's expense. But then, why should she give away her secrets? Possibly that idea should be shelved, for a while anyway. Another person not a million miles away from Trumpland in both distance and luxuriousness was also considering what to say next, though he'd actually got round to writing his memoir. Not himself, of course, as he was happily dyslexic and not good at putting pen to paper. No, a friend was busily beavering as a ghost, unpaid, of course. It'll be the making of your literary career, Sass had said, adding, only life is too tough for us at the moment. What with the arrival of petal, and we need every dime we can scrape together. Bizarrely, the friend had agreed without hesitation, and so was based in the pool house of the Winchester's estate, typing away nineteen to the dozen. 
He, like Sass, had mixed parentage, so could take full advantage of scoring points by tripping innocently naive people up. And how he, like Sass, took great pleasure in seeing other people mired in the quicksand of changing social etiquette, where everyone seemed to gloat in their own victimhood, and where everyone other than the self was to blame. Add it all the claptrap of the impending four-tome expose of Prince Rupert's life and times, where old scores were sure to be settled, there was the question of where Petal was to be christened, the US or the UK. Far from bringing relatives and friends now separated by oceans together, this occasion had been weaponised, discussed privately and very much publicly, till there had literally been no more fat on its bones. And still no decision had been forthcoming, though one sensed that Sassy had made her mind up long ago and was just enjoying her in-law family's discomfort. Her match must be furious, Linda's mother, Mabel, kept saying. To which the ever-loyal, discreet and calm Linda, her Madge's closest confidant, would reply, No, she's not, Mum. Pet has got far more important things on her mind. Why do you keep calling Her Majesty Pet? Mabel would often query. Because that's her pet name, the one her late husband, Prince Frederick, always used, Linda would reply, adding, And she likes someone to still use it. Linda had had this this conversation so often with her mother that she was sure it was a sign of the elderly, though still ever glamorous, Mater's demise. On other issues, Mabel was as sharp as a pin, like the question of the up-and-coming budget and how it was to fill the economic chasm left by the pandemic. On a more international note, heads had rolled due to the Afghanistan debacle and emotions and subsequent, subsequent promotions had been instigated. Mitchell Marks had been reluctantly moved from the top job at the Foreign Office to the lesser position running the Justice Department and taking his place a female, Jan Brace. But more important than hurt or enhanced egos was the question of attendant perks to any top dog position. The sole ownership of the keys to Chevening were at stake and that argument was set to rumble on for weeks yet. Matt Shrove was, was shuffled, though it just seemed to have more titles added to his already grand collection. He just grinned throughout the whole fandango and laughed out loud when he saw photos of himself dad dancing at the end of the party conference shindig. Betel had something to say about that, he'd said to his ex-wife Kat on their daily late-night quickie call when Shrove always prefaced, which Shrove always prefaced with... Just checking in to see if you're all okay. They both laughed as, yes, Al, their late teen daughter, had been furious with embarrassment that her father had been plastered all over social media, goofily grinning and waving his arms around to some ancient and unknown pop song. Yuck had been her summary, and, well, at least I can say he's not my dad now. Kat had felt a pang of remorse at that as even though they had divorced she knew her ex had tried his best to be a decent dad life or rather politics had just got in the way